This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson. Logan, how was your weekend? It was good, man. Busy. Kind of sneaky busy, you know, but in a good way. So, yeah. you do all right? How was your weekend? Come out yeah, okay. it was good. Uh, it was good. <clears throat> Had a couple of things going on. Uh, culminated with going to the Spirit game on Sunday. Uh, saw the girls get... Uh, first win of the season in their first game. So solid three points. Trinity Robbins scored an absolutely ridiculous goal. So good times. A good time was had by a Washington home team. And that's something that doesn't feel like it's happened in a while. Do you still know a lot of people on the team there? I do. I do. Yeah. Um, got a good, they got a great group, um, great group of players, great group of staff. I actually knew some of the new staff from old, old spots that they were in. Uh, so it should be, should be a fun year. I'm um, excited for it. But on this year podcast today, uh, the, the American football uh, variety, of course, uh, we'll get into a little bit more talk about Dalton Kincaid. Of course, he was kind of the center of the discussion we had last week after Daniel Jeremiah mocked him to Washington in his latest mock draft. Uh, Logan's taking a deeper look at Kincaid and has a couple of things to add on to that conversation. So we'll do that. And then we will get into some of the rule changes being proposed at the NFL owners meetings. I've been debating them with a variety of people. Uh, Chris Russell came on the show, Logan, last week. We had a nice, fun discussion about it. Uh, people can check fun. that out on, uh, on our podcast feed for the Hoffman Show or on YouTube. Uh, but I, you, I, I'm very excited to talk about them with because I feel like your perspective as someone who actually played is super valuable here and, and things you would like to see or wouldn't like to see as a player versus uh, Chris and I, media slash fans, uh, taking it totally from the outside. So let's start off with Dalton Kincaid, though. Like, why did you want to circle back to him and, and the tight end discussion in general? Well, I think, you know, like we both were pretty adamant about not taking a tight end at 16. I still feel that way. But I think it's important to kind of acknowledge what type of player Kincaid is and then also kind of why he might be getting pushed up draft boards. And so let's start with what kind of player he is. And again, this this is another reason I don't think he's a good fit for Washington because, you know, Kime, who's like the most dialed in dude on the beat, has kept saying that they want a two-way kind of guy, which means they want a guy who blocks and they want a guy who can catch passes. Kincaid is excellent at catching passes. Like he is fantastic. Like he's He's got kind of this, you know, does anyone know who Dennis Pitt is? Like, is that the name familiar to you, Craig? Uh, the name end. is familiar, but he played for the Ravens, right? He played for the Ravens. He's out of uh, out of BYU, kind of this tall, angular, like 6'6", like really kind of move guy. He was my year. And the thing about him is like he was probably 10 years ahead of his time, right? He was kind of this receiver first, really understood zones, really understood seams, pretty good after the catch. And that's kind of what you get with Kincaid is you get a guy who's kind of, 
that iteration of the tight end. And I think it's really fascinating to think of Dennis Pitta getting drafted in the third round. And then now all of a sudden Dalton Kincaid, a guy with a very comparable skill set, getting pushed in the first round. It just shows you the way the game's going, the way the position's going. Now, that being said, while he's such a really good, he's a very good pass, re- pass receiver, he's also not very good in line. I don't, I don't want to say he's not willing, depending on who you talk to. A lot of people think he's not willing. I disagree. I think he's, he's got a, like a little bit of You can toughness. be willing and bad. Correct. And I think that's exactly where he falls. He's willing, but not very good at it. And so for a team that kind of wants to be a run first team, I think you need a guy who's willing and moderate, if that makes sense, you know, and in a right. class with that's very deep in a class where there's a lot of guys who um, are willing and good, willing and moderate and can also catch the ball pretty good. I think the fit might not be exactly what you're looking for here in Washington, just from that standpoint. Now, Another thing is like, well, why is he at 16? And I think, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before the show is that there's no true like number one dog wide receiver in this class. Like I'm a Quentin Johnson guy, but I'm the first one to tell you the Quentin Quentin Johnson out of TCU, he's 6'3", 210 pounds. He's going to run fast. I think he's very polished as a route runner, but he's a very imperfect receiver. And what I mean by that is like he, a lot of body catches, he fights the football a little bit. Now he's dynamic as heck and he can make big plays, but you're always kind of negotiating him as a receiver like can he catch the football at a high level and that's not a good question to be asking about a number (laughs) one wide receiver all the time you know so I think he it's there but I do think one of the things about Kincaid is he consistently catches the football at the high level he consistently wins one-on-ones and I think that's why you're gonna see him getting pushed up like this isn't a year like last year where there's four or five kind of legitimate number one options that are going to be taken in the first round this is like we're kind of like that one B kind of tier of receiver that could be really good, but there's a little bit more questions. So I think you'll see a guy like Kincaid getting pushed higher and higher into the first round. I still stand by what we said before that you shouldn't take a tight end in the first round, especially this year, but I'm just trying to give some explanation and reason as to why a guy like Daniel Jeremiah, who's super, super dialed in and super smart would be mocking him this high in, in these, in these mock drafts. Yeah, I mean, the th- one thing that you said last week that I had literally never thought about before is the financials of it. It right. is like first round getting an offensive tackle. And if you get a guy who's premier year one, year two, even year three, you're paying like a tenth of what you would pay an actual premier tackle. Same thing at, at quarterback, obviously. Uh, that, that number might be a literal tenth. Uh, maybe right. tackle, yeah. it's like, <laughs> tackle, it's like a quarter, a, fifth, a third. Maybe, yeah, right. um, but it's, you know, it's literally, you know, if you're paying $5 million a year for a premier quarterback at this point, that's a 10th of what, you know, Joe Burrow is about to get paid, for instance, uh, what Justin Herbert's about to get paid, for instance. So there is a financial element to this that like, if you're trying to get a bargain, it, it makes a lot of sense to consider the positional values in the way that you're talking about. That said, if Dalton Kincaid's Travis Kelsey, you take Dalton Kincaid because you take the hall of fame, like screw value. The value right. is we got a hall of famer, but he's not. And like that. And, and I think the other thing too, specifically to a guy like Kelsey, who everyone wants to say, Oh, well, the commander's tight end room isn't very good. Look what the had in Kelsey and Kansas city. They need that. Kansas city didn't have the receivers they had. They have here. Obviously, they had Tyree Kill for a long time, who was as good as anybody in the sport. Um, incredibly unique, but as good, you know, production-wise as anybody in the sport. And that obviously helped Kelsey tremendously, but Kelsey was still great when Tyreek left. But the features of this offense under Eric Bieniemy will not be the same as it was in Kansas City. They're gonna play more to the outside here 
because they have Terry, because they have Jahan, because they have Curtis Samuel, who's kind of their move guy and is close to Tyreek from a skill set standpoint as, as they've got here. But I, I think the other thing about a guy like Kincaid to kind of bring everything that we just said together is if you're going to have a guy who is not great in line, you're going to want to split him out. That's great for matchups, but that potentially, depending on your formation, means one of those other guys is not on the field. Right. And so could you go, you know, two by two with a tight end in one slot and then the other, you know, Jahan, let's say, in the other? Yes, but it's not like Kansas City where you break the huddle in 21 personnel and all of a sudden you're splitting out and kind of getting the surprise, you know, like it's 11 uh, in, in the ways that you would with Travis Kelsey. It's just a different set of personnel here that makes it well yes there is tons of room to upgrade this tight end room does not justify especially with the draft class taking one at 16 unless you think Dalton Kincaid's a hall of famer yeah and I was gonna say I'm really glad you brought that up because like when you talk to people at the combine for example like when you're talking about draft process it's like well you know you got we talked about the buckets a couple podcasts ago tiers mm -hmm. right tier one tier two but the thing that breaks tiers is if you think it's a blue chip prospect and what, what do you mean by a blue chip prospect is a guy that's like, um, you know, the uh, Carter from Georgia this year is kind of the guy. He's the best player in college football. He plays defensive tackle. Like he's, everyone thinks he's kind of this generational type guy. And then that breaks buckets. Cause you say, well, I'm I don't care if he's, you know, a, a nose guard or whatever he is three technique. Like those guys have more value now, but you know, Kyle Pitts is maybe a better example. Yeah. He's a blue chip prospect. He's a bucket breaker. Like you're going to take him in the first round because he's special. And so I don't see that same skill set with Kincaid, but there might be a team and Washington might be one of them that says he's a blue chip prospect. He, and that would make him a bucket breaker. And then all of a sudden you have a guy that is sitting at 16. You say, wow, how fortunate are we that he fell to us at this position? Now, I don't think that's going to be Washington's process. And again, it's not necessarily a knock on Kincaid, but there's other guys in this class like Sam Laporta from Iowa will be available at 48 and he is a heck of a football player. Luke Musgrave might be available at 48. And quite frankly, I think Luke Musgrave has higher upside than uh, Dalton Kincaid from a physical trait standpoint. And so both those guys are going to be sitting there in the second round. And the, the difference of the film is somewhat marginal. Now, Sam Laporta, I think is a receiver, you know, he's fast, he's big, he's strong, but he doesn't he doesn't have the nuance that Kincaid has, for example. So maybe you say, well, that's where Kincaid's value comes. But I'm of the mindset, man, like there's so many guys in this class, take one in the second round. But there is a world where he's the guy that they love. They absolutely love him. And then you pick him at 16. And then no one can, like you can have fault with the pick because of the tight and all that stuff. But based on processes, like that's good process. So I'm not going to hate on that if they really think that's what he is, you know. Hey, it's Craig Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day, your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to break the, the rundown here uh, to ask you about another bucket breaker. Uh, yeah. What about Bijan Robinson? Because right. he's maybe top five player in the class. Uh, he's just a running back. And obviously, they like Brian Robinson a lot. 
I think Antonio Gibson probably is better suited for what the is going to try to do, although he's in the final year of his deal. And I do not see him getting extended uh, because he's a running back and giving running back second contracts uh, rarely works out if those contracts have any kind of significant dollars behind them. But if all of a sudden you want to be a run first team and you can get a generational running back, it would seem that that would make sense. Uh, However, 16 is rich. Uh, for a running back and you have other positional needs, but he's, he's definitely a bucket breaker and that's why he's being mocked some as high as I don't think I've seen him top 10 for a while, but I did see one at 10 with Philly was the one I saw recently. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. 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 And then I've seen him as low as like 27. So what about B. John Robinson in general? What about him for Washington? I mean, B. John Robinson on film is, is the third is maybe the second non quarterback in this draft. You know what I mean? Like he is very, very good at football. I would say Jalen Carter first, then B. John Robinson, but I'm sure people have it the other way around. Like he's for sure top five, most valuable player in this draft. So I do think that's a really interesting argument um, to take B. John at 16. Cause like, again, from based on buckets and bucket breaking and blue chip prospects, like that would be sound process. However, <clears throat> I do think running backs, so if you've talked about this before, are very comparable to like linebackers. And what I mean by that is that they are so scheme dependent, kind of like tight ends. And so unless you have some kind of a good scheme to support it, um, a good offensive line to support it, the back isn't going to be as productive. I think a good example of this is like Najee Harris. Like Najee Harris is a good productive NFL running back, but his production in terms of yards per carry is down in relation to the rest of the league because they don't have the offensive line to support his production. It was that way for Saquon Barkley for a long time, right? The O-line was kind of in flux. They didn't speak to his skill set. His production was down, and obviously injury was a big part of that too. So I would say, in my opinion, if you really – like if I really wanted to elevate the run game, I'm drafting an offensive lineman at 16, right? I might even draft an offensive lineman at 48. I want good athletic young guys. And if I want to elevate the run game, there's, this is a relatively deep running back class. Like the kid from TCU just jumps off the screen. You watch his tape and he's in, he's not even in a lot of people's top 10 running backs. Right. So he'll be available third, fourth, fifth round, bring a guy like that in, give him huge holes to run, run through and let that four, three speed kind of show off because no one's going to touch him until he's five yards down the field. That to me is where you see like why Philly is so excellent is because they just said, we are going to invest in the offensive line. It doesn't really matter who's playing running back for us as long as they're explosive and they have explosive traits because our offensive linemen are good enough to win one-on-ones, get hats on hats, and they're going to move people off the football. So I think that's the problem, in my opinion, with drafting Bijan at 16 is because you do need scaffolding around a mm-hmm. running back. You need a foundation around a running back. So um, while I think he's a fantastic player, I think he elevates you on third down. I think he elevates you on first and second down. Like, I think he's a heck of a football player. Like, he's 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 as good a football player as you're going to see in this draft. It's just you need other parts around him. And I'm not sure this team has really finalized that, that process yet in terms of building around a running back. Right. You kind of have to luck into the luxury of taking a running back right. high. Right. Um, when Dallas did it with Zeke, one, Zeke was, again, generational prospect coming out um and, and Bijan and Bijan's better than Zeke Bijan's probably the best running back and it depending on who you talk to since Adrian Peterson like that's wow. the kind of guy you're talking about right he, a lot of people think he's better than Saquon coming out like it's you're in rare too yeah you're rarefied air here with regards to what kind okay. of player this is so I think that's why this conversation is so unique because he is like to your point he's 
he's one of one from a running back standpoint. Yeah. Um, which it means it's going to be really hard if they were to decide to go that route to be mad at it. Like right. if you're going to fail, fail, fail with the hall of famer, you know? <laughs> um, and it kind of, I'll, I'll actually go double Dallas takes here, which will just thrill everybody listening. Um, but one, like when, when Dallas did it with Zeke, right. They had a weird year like Dak had gotten hurt or whatever it was the year before. And so their team was pretty good. Their O-line had been built through the draft. Yeah. And so they were in a position where they could afford that luxury, where they can be like, yeah, if we can get an incredible running back, that's going to take our team to a completely new level. I would say Philly is in that, that position now, although they did just sign Rashad Penny, so I doubt they go that route. But if Philly wanted to take Bajan Robinson at 10, like, okay, Philly can take whatever they want. They've got good players literally everywhere. It's really annoying. They but, have great, like, but if they took him, it's all of a sudden like, wow, their run game is going to be absurd right and i think that's that's a really interesting point because like you said they have really ridiculous players everywhere and that's good draft process but also one of the things that philly does and this is like foundational to their gm's mm -hmm. philosophy is they draft offensive and defensive linemen in the first round they don't do a lot of skill position drafting in the first round and yeah. so i expect them to go defensive edge at 10 and probably defensive interior or offensive line at, at whatever 31 whenever they're picking yeah. 32 30 because there's no 32 picks 30 so i think that that's like again one of the reasons they are that way is because they draft good defensive play defensive linemen offensive linemen they get like think about this they drafted they drafted andre dillard in the first round three years ago four years ago the guy from washington state mm -hmm. he did not play for them as a first round pick because jordan mylotta came in he just signed a deal in Tennessee to be the starting left tackle. They're going to get a comp pick for a guy that never played a snap for them because that's they just crazy because that's just good process. And if you think about positional value, offensive linemen specifically, defensive linemen specifically, they carry this tremendous value because they're really hard to find. And yeah. one of the things about Philly, as a, compared to the rest of the league, it's, um, Cleveland's like this a little bit too, is their offensive line coach is really, really outstanding at developing guys. So you kind of put them in the system. They develop over the three or four years. You trade them off. You auction them off. You get comp picks. You get actual trade value. And then you kind of just rinse and repeat that process. And that's one of the values of having an outstanding offensive line or defensive line coach. Then get hyper. Like think about San Francisco too. Their defensive line coach. Um, yeah. Amenihu is his name. The guy from Texas a couple years ago. He was in Houston. He's now with Kansas City. He signed a two-year deal for $20 million, and he was kind of in flux in Houston. And now San Francisco is going to get a comp pick for a guy, right, that was kind of roaming the streets. Arden Key, same thing in San Francisco, right? Their offensive line coach, uh, Darrell Tapp, Darnell Tapp, guy played here for a while, is outstanding at developing guys and giving them direction. So I think, back to your original point, I don't think Philly's going to take him because that just yeah. kind of goes against their philosophy. You know, that said, when they find someone truly outstanding, uh, Devonte Smith, they will break They're, that, that pattern true. a little yep. bit. Um, the other example I was going to say though, on the Dallas front is in 2014, 13, whatever year it was, Way they back. drafted Travis Kelsey or not Travis Kelsey. Um, who's their old center, uh, Travis Frederick, Frederick, Frederick. uh, with the 30th pick. And I remember Mel Kuyper, I was working in Dallas at the time. Mel Kuyper lost his mind because he barely had him in his top 100 prospects. And I remember yeah. saying like, even if this guy's good, it's probably a mistake because if you could have gotten him around later and someone else, right. you should have done that. But if you're going to miss, miss with the hall of famer. And that's exactly yeah. what they did. They yeah. missed on the positional value, but they were right on the evaluation. Correct. And that dude was incredible for them and anchored their line for a decade uh, before he was forced to retire early. So 
if you're gonna miss, so to speak, like because the value is messed up, miss with a player, yeah. yeah, by positional value, miss with a guy who's awesome, and then yeah. it's kind of hard to be mad at having a great player, even if you maybe could have had him and someone else. You'd rather just take the safety of getting the guy you think is great, and yeah. if you're that right about it, then then cool. Yeah, PFF had an interview with the former GM from Minnesota, and it was really, really well done. You guys should check that uh, out. Spielman? Uh, yeah, Spielman. And what Spielman was saying, they asked him, like, would you draft Adrian Peterson today, all things being equal? And you, like, kind of knew his career trajectory. And he was like, how could I not draft a Hall of Famer? Like, how could I not do that? And right. And they were like, well, you know, positional value. He's like, dude, he's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the most productive. He's He might be the most dominant running back of the modern era. And, and he anchored you, a bunch of winning teams. Correct. And so when you think about it like that, and that, you know, they're kind of making the comparison to B. John Robinson here. You know, when you compare, the, and if that's the comparison, if 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 Adrian Peterson is the comp for B. John Robinson, now they're different players, different running styles, different skill sets, right? But um, I, I really think there's a compelling argument that you say, hey, if he's there at 16 and you think he's that type of player, you think he's got Hall of Fame potential, then you take him. Now, I do think that it's important to note the game has changed pretty drastically from yes. when Minnesota's running it, right? You know, now it's spread out, favors the passing game, pass-centric offenses, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, a place like Atlanta, the place that's going to run the football a ton, um, you know, Baltimore, something like that. I, I do think there's there's a world where he goes, you know, Baltimore or, excuse me, Atlanta's picking at eight. So, right. you know, maybe they say, hey, he's just too good to pass up here. I can think of worse things than a guy who I might give the ball 25 to 30 times a game being a Hall of Fame caliber ball carrier. Right. I mean, like at some point, the math is this guy's going to, if if we run 70 plays and he's getting 30 touches, right. like that's 45% of our roughly 45% of our plays. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, positional value again. And like, is that guy going to be around only for five years because you wear him out because uh, running backs deteriorate quickly? That's a different story. That's where like AP is, is the mold breaker, the ultimate mold breaker. Right. He was great for like 12 years. He was still right. really, really, really good when he got here. So um, that's the question you have to have. And that dude was a physical freak of all freaks, like in NFL history. Adrian Peterson's right. basically a cyborg. Um, and I don't know that Bijan Robinson is that, even if his peak might be something close to AP's. Yeah. All right. Uh, any other thing on, on bucket breakers, on Robinson, on Kincaid before we move on to the rule changes? No, I'm really glad we touched on that, though, the bucket breaking thing. And I'm really glad you brought up Bijan Robinson because that's why that's why he's such a compelling player in this class, because he's not he's not just a good running back. He's being comped to some of the best running backs of the modern era. And when you're the guys that are in the Hall of Fame and when you're making those comps, it's like, shoot, like the. He he is the ultimate bucket bucket breaker. I don't think Kincaid is that guy, but B. John Robinson is for sure. So I'm glad we talked about that. Um, since I have it up, Daniel Jeremiah's top 50 prospects, uh, which he did back on March 9th, he's got Robinson third. So that's the yeah. kind of player that we're uh, talking about. He's behind Bryce Young and Will Anderson. 